The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm the host. It is Wednesday, and we're recording on Tuesday, and the YouTube show, the version of this will be up on Tuesday. If you want to subscribe there, you can go to youtube.com slash CBS Sports. Look for the hit the video button. Look for the green Pick 6 logo, and you can get multiple videos that we put out throughout the week, including our Picks podcast. Our early lines look ahead on Sunday. And of course, on Tuesday, the Brady Quinn football show. Featuring Ryan Wilson. Hey, uh, Will, nice haircut. Thank you. I <laughs> thought it was time for a trim. Holidays are here. Do you, think our, do you think our listeners remember when our boss came in the last podcast and basically said, Hey, Will, hey, Willie boy, need to get a haircut. Do you, do you do you think they remember that and how you just absolutely succumbed to our our boss and just got a haircut instead of being a rebel without a cause? You got a haircut that exactly as the boss said and just took it from the man. Hey, my boss says jump. I say how high. My boss says do eight podcasts a week. I'm like, can I do like six one week when Wilco's in town and then eight the rest of the weeks? And then they're like, yeah, okay. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> then I have Ryan Wilson fill in for me when I'm gone. Poor Ryan. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, okay, we are going to briefly talk about we've got uh, we were going to break down some Super Bowl contenders because it's really interesting. I think how the various the two conferences are shaking out. We'll get to that in a second. We're also going to redraft the 2018 draft. We touched on that briefly uh, in the previous Monday Night Football podcast. We touched on a lot of stuff in Monday Night Football. Um, and then we are going to uh, look at some 2020 mock draft talk, including LSU-Bama. Incredible game. Um, if we can, you know, if we can get through NC State-Clemson, we'll get to LSU-Bama anyway. Uh, <sighs> I, told, I told everybody that listened to this podcast multiple times, free money. On Clemson. I hope everybody listened. Free money first half, free money second half, free money, whatever you want. Clint Dabo wasn't going to slow it down. Um, and we will also take some five star questions for Brady or, or of the podcast in general. But first, let's talk a little bit more briefly about the overtime situation with the 49ers and the Seahawks. So as I understand it, Brady, you being the, 
uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here, but uh, antagonist, that's what it is. Being the antagonist that you are, assaulted verbally our friend Pete Prisco on CBS Sports HQ, our 24-7 streaming sports network, which you should subscribe to for free on your Roku, Apple, Fire Stick, wherever else you get it, or cbssports.com slash live. Um, you and Pete had some banter about it, and frankly, it's stunning that Pete would say play for a tie. Pete thought right. – should have said play for a tie, and you disagree. I am actually with Pete on this. I thought they should have played for a tie, even if it would have been the cowardly lion thing to do. Uh, that, that doesn't surprise me. Again, we're talking about a man who, when his boss says, get a haircut, he goes as soon as the podcast is over to get his haircut because he's fearful of a lot of things in life. Okay, let me just explain a few things about how that scenario in reality actually works out. Uh, and I'm going to use a gambling reference because um, I've got some buddies who are professional gamblers. And we talk about decision-making all the time because in sports, a lot of times you've got to make a decision and you only know so much. And and the problem that people fall into is when you lose, use the result of something as an indicator for why you made a good or bad decision, well, a lot of times that can be an inaccurate way of then judging your overall decision-making or sharpening your ability to make the right decision, right? So, for example... If I was to throw a football into a bad coverage, into a bad spot, a defender goes to catch it and it bounces off his chest and goes right to my receiver and is a completion, I would then be resulting if I looked at that and said, well, that was a good throw, it was a good good decision, that's where the ball should have gone, right? No. It was a result that came via the fact that the defense didn't execute what they needed to, right? Went to the bad spot, made a bad throw, but it worked out, okay? So that's an example of resulting the case where it worked out, but obviously it wasn't the right decision. So in this case, we're looking at the San Francisco 49ers at the end of the game. Basically, they ran they they ran three pass plays. They took what twenty some seconds off the clock and then punted to Seattle, which eventually went down to kick a field goal to win the game. A couple things: the play caller at no point is looking at that particular scenario in the game, thinking play for a tie. Okay. They obviously want to continue to move the football down the field to score to win the game. That's the whole objective. The 49ers were going against a loaded box the majority of the game, which means they didn't have the bodies to block the extra defender in the box. So when they were going to run the football, they didn't have much success for that reason. So one of the reasons why if you're in the final two minutes of a game and you don't want to run the football is if you're if you're actually playing to win and calling the game to win the game, you need to conserve some of that time so you can get the ball down the field based on where they were. So, you know, Pete's thing was, well, they should have at least ran the first play. Well, yeah, that's good in theory if you end up getting a big gain, but what happens if you get no gain, a negative play, or, you know, something else happens, right? That's a tough position to be in as a quarterback then. Well, they obviously resulted in three, you know, incomplete passes, which was the end result anyway, but that doesn't necessarily mean the play calls for that specific scenario were the wrong ones. So, the general idea is, from a play caller standpoint with Kyle Shanahan, he's not calling the game based on trying to tie. He's trying to call to win the game. He's trying to put his team in the best possible position to win that game by throwing the football with the concepts that he thinks will work versus the defense and with the personnel group that he's been given. And and obviously with each you know play, you're not thinking as a quarterback, like, gosh, I just want to run the clock out here and play for a tie, or uh, I'm, I'm concerned about getting an incomplete pass and not taking time off the clock. Look, if you end up punting in that situation like San Francisco did, especially that defense played last night, you're confident your defense going out like they have the entire season, getting a stop and the game ending in a tie. That's why it's a team sport. That's why it works out this way. So, 
You could talk about at the end of the game where, oh, they ended up losing. They, a tie would have been better off. But the bottom line is no one plays for a tie. No player, no coach, or anyone else. So regardless of what the outside opinion is of it, I thought Kyle Shanahan did the right thing. He tried to win the game. Didn't work out. Their defense in a, in a moment where, you know, it, it kind of let them down. It, you know, then they had an all game. They, they even produced points. It was just unfortunately how the game resulted for them. But again, they could have easily won that game earlier. If you're going to blame it on the play calling, you're obviously blaming it on the wrong things. Looking at the countless times they had opportunities to win that game throughout the course of the, the second half as well as overtime. Phew. That was a long answer. Um, it's good. It's good stuff. It's great stuff. It's good stuff. It's a lot more nuanced than most people think because most people are simpletons and so they want a quick <laughs> yes or no and why. So sorry. Look, look, I, I, I understand. I do think I do actually, I actually do agree with you in the sense that there is nuance. I look back at last year's overtime game between the Texans and the Indianapolis Colts in which Frank Reich had the ball on a fourth down and short, um, near midfield. And went for it anyway. Even though he wasn't in field goal range, there wasn't a ton of time left. The play was probably to punt it and come away with half a win. He said, F that. And he went for it. And everybody, and they didn't get it. And then Houston got the ball and went and got the field goal and got the win. And Bill O'Brien got the, I think it was their first win of the season. The Colts fell to like one and four. Um, and everybody and their brother was criticizing Frank Wright, but then when people went to the locker room and asked him about the play in question, all the players like pounded the table. They're like, no, we love that. We freaking love that from Frank Wright, that he went for it, that he had the huevos to do it, that he was willing to get our back and that, that he, that he got aggressive there. And that was actually the, the, the following game. I think they ripped off like 10 straight wins. So, you know, I understand the, the idea of, um, not playing for a tie. Having said that at the exact time that Kyle Shanahan was deciding to let Jimmy Garoppolo pass, I actually tweeted out and I'm not saying that my Twitter account is the equivalent of NFL, being on the sideline of an NFL uh, field, making play calls in a primetime game in a big divisional rivalry matchup when you're an undefeated team. I, I get that. It's not the same thing, but it did seem reasonable to try to not to play for a tie, but to melt some clock and force the Seahawks to be aggressive if they wanted to come down and get the win because they needed the win more than you did. If you get a tie, it's enormous for you in terms of the standings because you're now the you're, you're still the first seed. You're eight zero and one. Um, if you get the tie, you have a it's you know it, it eliminates the Seahawks being able to sweep you in terms of the tiebreaker for for first place in the division. It, it pushes them further back in the division, and so I thought it would have you know given that Pete Carroll had already used his timeout in overtime, it would have behooved Kyle Shanahan to see what he could get with a running play on first down. And so I, I just didn't Does that think- worked for them that entire game. No, but the, the, they were missing Emmanuel Sanders and George Kittle. The, every time they threw the ball, Jimmy G, first of all, he wasn't accurate. He didn't play very well. Second of all, every time he hit a receiver in the hands, they treated it like a volleyball and popped it up in the air for interceptions. Yeah, they had so, nine drops. I mean, it was more on the wide receivers than it was on Jimmy G. Look, just because he's handsome doesn't mean he can't have problems throwing the ball. I mean, come on. Relax. He's got a lot of a, uh, you know, a little, Wilson, he's kind of like your beard. It's a, it's a little peppery gray. If you look at his hair too in the post uh, press conference, I was like, man, he's going great early. Is he even 30 yet? <laughs> um, is Jimmy G going gray? No, I mean, if you look at his hair in the post-game press conference, bring up a photo. I know you're good at multitasking, uh, Brinson, so let Wilson and I talk while this is going on, but I'm not sure if you saw him after the game. There's a lot of salt and pepper in there, my friend. Did you, did I, will, you just, I will say just, this. Just, Ryan, just for the record, did you just say salt and pepper? As in, salt and pepper. Yeah. Okay. Pepper, pepper. As in what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. There you go. And, uh, yeah, the other other naughty song that I used to watch in the early 90s. 
Uh, <laughs> no, uh, it's not about sex, baby. It's not about you. <laughs> definitely not. It's definitely not salt and pepper. Is Who is that? It's 100% salt and pepper. That's color me bad. Don't be ridiculous. What no, get out of here. You should be ashamed of yourself. I'm 100% right. Hold Here's on, what I want to confirmation on this? Because I'm a little bit confused. Yeah. That, also, I think Ryan said it's not about sex, baby. What? I think it's about let's talk about sex. Oh, well, that's when you when you grow up in a repressed <laughs> Southern Baptist community, you change the words to it's not about sex. You do. You that, that's it. a vintage Christian church move right there, changing a <laughs> pop culture song and making it, editing it, and making yeah. it digestible for their – um, yeah. Oh, wait, it's supposed to be the other way? What? What? <laughs> but, uh, what I will say about the game while Brinson Googles that I'm correct is that the biggest takeaway for, for me was not P- uh, Prisco getting mad at you, Brady, about the tie thing, which was sort of silly. You're not tying. I agree with you on that. But that fourth and two, just inside the two minute warning overtime from the 45 yard line, their own 45, Seattle punted the ball, which isn't a surprise. You would expect Pete Carroll to do that. Prisco tweeted out, they should go for it. That is the first time in Twitter history that Prisco has actually thought that a team should go for it on fourth and short when it made sense uh, to the eyeball test and, and in terms of analytics. They didn't do it. Obviously, they won a, a drive later. But I was actually – that blew me away more than anything else that happened in that game, that Prisco was actually for going for it on fourth down when typically he is a punt and or kick a field goal guy no matter what. Well, he apparently he always plays a safe and he always plays for a tie because he loves kissing his sister, as we all say. So uh, I'm not sure he has a sister, but it seems like he'd be okay with that if he does. Uh, okay, wait. All right, so go ahead. Am I? I, I'm trying to figure, I guess I am. I guess I am wrong. But I thought that um, is it? Kobe Badhead, I want to sex you up. That's Salt right. Bad, let's talk about sex. You got it. This guy right down there. That guy. That guy. Mm, that's a rare miss. Mean, look, look, I'll own it. That's a rare yeah. miss to me on 90s uh, music. I, I apologize. I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, I accept your apology. Well done, I'm Ryan. still, I'm still not going to let it go that you said don't talk about sex. That's fair, too. No, that, <laughs> don't talk about it. Let, um, we'll get to Jimmy G later, but let's talk about some legitimate Super Bowl contenders. Don't talk about don't talk <laughs> laugh about, about this for 12 hours. <laughs> You love it, but don't talk I about do it. love it. This is one of the reasons why I love Ryan Wilson so much, because he brings that sort of content to the show. Not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so when you look around the NFL and you start to decide who can compete, like we, you know, it's, it's got to be, did, when you were playing Brady, did you have the sense by the time you got to week 10 or week 11 where you stood? Where, when, when did you, when would you get a sense of where you stood as a team? Or like where you stood, what, how, like, what portion of the season would you say, okay, we can actually go win a title, or all right, we got to tweak some, you know, you know what I'm saying, like, because yeah. I feel like it's probably the three quarter mark, maybe, but we're, we're almost quite there. Uh, usually halfway through the season, you've got a really good idea of what you are as a team. Now, the hard thing for me with my career is if you go back, my rookie season was the most successful regular season I was ever a part of. So we were ten and six my rookie year in Cleveland. And when, when you get into it, like the way we lost week one versus Pittsburgh, it was like, all right, uh, maybe we're not very good. You know, you're not really sure because, you know, I, you don't really know out of preseason how good you are. No one's really game planning. No one's really preparing. Your starters aren't playing the entire time. So you get into week one. We got beat by the Steelers bad. The following week, we ended up playing Cincinnati. I believe we won that game somewhat of a shootout. And then it started to kind of move forward. 
And at that point, being in your first year in the league, you're not really sure how to think about it because we lost six games. And in college, like when you lose a game, you feel like the season's over. And so, you know, for me, it's like it was always tough trying to figure out how you deal with losses and how you rebound from that, um, you know, as a team, as an individual and all that. So um, that was our best year. And, and I think as the season wore on and once we realized that and as a 10-16, we, we didn't make it in to the playoffs because we didn't run the the right 10 games. You kind of step back and think, dang, dude, it, it's it's hard to get in the playoffs. Like it, It's hard to be able to win enough games and the right games in order to make it in. That was the only team outside of the 2011 Broncos team I was a part of that made it that had a chance of going in the playoffs. And so that season moving forward, you know, we got off to so somewhat of a sluggish start. We we're kind of in the hunt midseason. Uh, but I got hurt. Derek Anderson got hurt. And that was it. And at that point in time, I was like, all right, there's no chance that we're going to be able to overcome that at this point in time, you know, given how many injuries that we had dealt with. And that was, I think we were in four and six maybe at that point in time, somewhere around that my second year. Um, and so around that point, I, you, you kind of figured like the season was most likely over. The following year, you know, right away with what we did in the offseason, I knew we were young. I knew we had struggled with some things. And so very early on, we started playing games. We're like, man, we really aren't able to compete. Like we're in a rebuild we're just trying to improve and hopefully win some games along the way. And as much as you didn't want to admit that, you really felt like in your deepest heart of hearts, it was going to be tough to compete. Now, most people are crazy. You heard Sam Darnold earlier this week talk about how we got to win out and we got a chance of making the playoffs. That's how you think as a player. You know, you don't conform to the thought process of everyone on the outside and think like, yeah, we're a bad football team. You think, okay, this is what we have to do moving forward. I just got to win this game next week. When we win the game the following week and we, we just stack those up and we'll go to the playoffs. That's how you have to think as a football player. But in retrospect, looking back through the rest of my career, probably about halfway through, you had a pretty solid idea of what you were as a team. It's just like most players uh, really don't want to believe in that because they can't. I mean, in, in order to play in the NFL, you have to be a little bit crazy. Yeah, you have to delude yourself into believing that whatever's happened for, you know, Dude, eight every weeks. time you're throwing yeah. footballs a lot of times as a quarterback, like 10 yards before the guy even gets to the open window. I mean, there's just, there's literally things you have to convince yourself of and just have blind confidence that's, that it's going to work out. You know, even from a quarterback perspective with little things that you do with the way you're throwing the football or, or just, you know, certain plays. I mean, in your head, you're hearing the play call and going, well, that ain't going to work, but you're selling it in the huddle and you're telling those guys like it, it's the greatest idea in the world, trying to make sure that they know if they run the route to win, you know, hopefully you can throw it up, you'll give them a chance. So, uh, you know, yeah, you have to convince yourself every single game, every single time you go out there to, to compete um, that you're going to win regardless of who the opponent is. Your whole life is a lie. Not really. Pretty much. Uh, by, by the way, the other day on Sunday afternoon, I was supposed to do the uh, halftime show. Uh, for the one o'clock games with Jamie and, and Pete. And, uh, I got, I got over to my thing, the setup, like I'm sitting right here and I was sitting here all ready to go and my Skype like froze up and, uh, it was just an empty chair. And I was like staring at like this screen right now, except I'm sitting here in this empty chair and I was like, am I a ghost? Is my whole life a lie? Have I disappeared into the ether? Did I evaporate? Is this the Truman Show? So it's okay to, it's okay for everybody to feel that way, Brady. Um, and it is okay, especially when you live in a world where the Patriots exist constantly, Ryan. Can we agree and move on by saying that the Patriots are indeed a Super Bowl contender and a legitimate, uh, team that can make a run at the, the, the Lombardi? Yeah, no, of course. They're, I, I broke them up into tiers. Tier one oh. is obviously the Patriots. And I'll give like, you my tier, right? It's the Patriots. No, they're not alone in that tier. You think they're alone? 
Well, I just think that, yeah, I mean, I don't know, just because the Patriots. All right, well, no. let me give you my list, and then you, you can yell at me. Okay, let's hear and your don't first. Talk, don't talk about sex, whatever you do. Okay, number one, the Pats. Number two, right up there in that tier one, the Ravens. And then Green Bay and this other team is tier 1A because of what happened last weekend, the New Orleans Saints. But I think those four teams all have legit chances of winning the Super Bowl as we sit here right now. New Orleans needs to figure out how to forget that last game. But otherwise, uh, those are four teams that I think make a lot of sense and hard to argue they're not in the same grouping unless you feel otherwise, Wilbur. No, I know. I think that's a, that's a good top four. Brady, would you have any qualms with the, uh, or issues with those four teams separating themselves from everyone else? No, I actually have more teams. So I'm going to throw in my group that I feel like are legitimate contenders. And it's based on this quarterbacks who have been there, done it before. Cause I think that matters when you get in the playoffs, uh, different speed, you know, the game planning, everything, everything's ratcheted up. So, um, that's part of it. So, and then the other thing is teams Mason, that I feel like go ahead, Will uh, cutting us off again. Sorry, yeah, I keep forgetting we're doing the YouTube version. I'm supposed to cut you off, but I was going to say that I assume that means that the Steelers and Mason Rudolph are in your top tier. Uh, no, they're not. Uh, you know, Ryan, I, I gotta say the biggest contrast between how you were raised and how Will was raised is the fact that like you're raised in like a church going good family. Will probably was too, but just zero respect for like cutting people off and like cutting into conversations. Just probably one of the rudest things you can do. Uh, almost like if I was just to go over to Will's house, take a dump and just leave and, you know, not flush it. Like that, that'd be like the second worst thing you could probably potentially do, which is Man. something that I think Will would probably do. So just take an away game in your house and then not flush and leave it there for all to see. <laughs> Love it. Did you just call it an away game? I like yeah, that. Yeah, it's called an away game. Awesome. Okay. All right. Drop I mean, an away it's, game. It's okay. what it is. I mean, <laughs> um, okay, so here are my teams. We're here, yes. I'm going to do it by uh, the AFC and NFC. So AFC, the New England Patriots, very similar to Ryan. Reason being, Tom Brady, we've seen him do it before, the defending Super Bowl champs. The Baltimore Ravens, okay, they fall into that other category where I, I do think they've got a, a pretty complete football team the way they're playing right now. Defensively, they've been improved. The Marcus Peters addition has been worked out really well for them so far. And then obviously Lamar Jackson, especially if he keeps this up, they're going to be tough to stop. As far as the AFC picture right now, those are the only two teams that I really feel confident about. The NFC, I've got a lot more teams, okay? Saints, Packers, Seahawks, all teams that you've seen their quarterback win a Super Bowl before. So I, I feel confident from that standpoint and just the way the teams have played this year. I, th I think those are three of the best teams. And then you've got teams like the 49ers, for example, and the Minnesota Vikings that fall into the category of, I think they can play good enough if they, if the Vikings can improve their pass defense and obviously if Cousins can continue to play as well as he has since that the week five mark. And then you look at the 49ers. If they get back healthy, you get Kittle back, Sanders comes back. The way this team, I think, you know, they've played so far this year and even obviously had chances to win on Monday Night Football, I think they fall into that category too where they can surprise a bunch of people. So those are all my teams. Okay. Um, I think that's a pretty, like you, in terms of these are all your teams who you believe, like if they, if they were the coach and the quarterback are holding up the Lombardi trophy at the end of the year, you wouldn't be surprised. No. And that's why, so it, it's, it's weird when you think about the Cowboys, Chiefs, Eagles. Three teams that I left off the list. Now, again, you talk about the Eagles. They've won a Super Bowl, but not with Carson Wentz at quarterback. So even though they have that experience, I just don't trust the way they played so far this year. And that could change, obviously, with a lot of football left to be played. The Dallas Cowboys, for the same reason. I don't really have any expectations right now of what they could do if they even make it to the playoffs. Um, the Rams, the way they're playing right now, both offensively and defensively. I mean, that O-line is 
a shell of itself. The defense isn't playing much better either. And then the Chiefs, I mean, their defense is still going to be a hold them back. And plus that division's gotten more competitive now. So, um, you know, all those teams, I think you can make the case, you know, none of them have had guys that have won the Super Bowl as a quarterback in that spot. And the way their teams have played so far this year, uh, they kind of leave you questioning whether or not they'll be able to once they get in the playoffs. Yeah, for me, the uh, the Dallas Cowboys are a great example of a team. And I think the Eagles probably qualify right now. Let's see how sort of injuries come back with their secondary and how they can improve. But, like, Dallas Cowboys have a fatal flaw, and that fatal flaw is Jason Garrett. I mean, the coaching on Sunday night was abhorrent. They had, at one point, on the longest play from scrimmage by the Vikings, they had 10 men on the field. Um, you know, that's, that's just poor coaching and poor planning. Um, you know, when you have – uh, a situation where you run the ball twice on second and third down, even though you're averaging less than two and a half yards per carry, uh, and Dak Prescott is carving up this Minnesota secondary, that's bad coaching. And and there was a lot of it from the Cowboys. I don't trust Jason Garrett to be aggressive in the way I think you need to be aggressive to win a Super Bowl in 2019. And so I put them a tier below. Um, I do think that uh, team two teams that I would put with the Patriots and the Ravens, uh, at least for me, would be the Chiefs and the Steelers. So I think you have those four teams in the AFC. I hesitate to put the Colts there. Uh, they would be the, you know, the only team that's uh, five and four that might creep in. The Steelers defense is awesome, but Mason Rudolph is averaging like five yards per player over the past few games. So I can't do that. Uh, and then the Raiders defense is just not good enough to get it done. Although I think John Gruden has done a really nice job this season. Um, may, you know, the Chargers, please, you're four and six, get out of town. Uh, you know, you want, you're like a half game ahead of the Broncos. Get out of here. Titans five and five. You know, Ryan Tannehill's played really well, but I just don't trust uh, everything about that team. And so I think there is a very much – and then the Bills, who we didn't even mention, uh, they feel like a very fraudulent 6-3 and three right now after losing uh, to, to the Browns. And so I think there is very much a have and have not group in the AFC here. Those top four, a big, big step above everybody else in my opinion. Um, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. I have uh, two more tiers. And the first group I mentioned, the AFC, the Pats and, and, and the Ravens, I feel like they're 75% or better Super Bowl odds, and you feel comfortable with that. This is 50% or better. Brady mentioned the Chiefs. I also have the Chiefs, not because of Patrick Mahomes, who does not look like he just dislocated his knee. He looks like Patrick Mahomes, but the defense is a mess, so they got to sort that out. And then we haven't mentioned this team, the Texans. I sort of like the Texans if Deshaun Watson can stay upright. We've seen stretches where he hasn't been sacked. Then we've seen stretches where he's been sacked a ton over the last month, so – Keep him upright. I know they don't have J.J. Watt, but he is a game changer, and they could sneakily end up being better than the Chiefs, I feel like, if they get on a hot streak. And then two other teams in the uh, NFC, the, the 49ers in my second tier, primarily because of Jimmy G. I don't trust him. Uh, and, yes, Manny Sanders wasn't there. Yes, George Kittle wasn't there. But um, uh, Russell Wilson didn't have Tyler Lockett for the overtime. He somehow managed to find a way to win. He was throwing the balls to Josh Gordon, who um, – had been there for four days, and that's my other team, the Seattle Seahawks, and that's because Russell Wilson has to carry this team. The defense played well against the 49ers, but can they do that every week? We haven't seen it, and um, the offensive line's a mess. There aren't any real playmakers. If Tyler Lockett's out, we don't know how long he's going to be out. So what happens if Russell Wilson's off one day? Can Seahawks still win? I don't think they can, but those are the teams that if they get in and Brace or alluded to the experience factor, you would expect someone like the, the Seahawks to be able to make a run. It's just a matter of Russell staying hot the entire month of uh, January. 
And also if that defense can continue to play the way they did last night. I thought, you know, Jadavion Clowney was everything they hoped he would be in, in obviously trading for him. So that was obviously a big piece of um, their ability to win that game. But yeah, look, I guess, you know, I don't have as many tears to this because I think when you look at uh, a team, for example, like the Eagles, who I, I mentioned earlier, you know, not having Deshaun Jackson, I think really takes away an element of this offense that they desperately need. Someone who can be a big play wide receiver, take the top off the defense. And with the way that secondary is played for the Eagles, I just, I don't feel overly confident in them. Uh, if they do make it in the playoffs, not getting exploited by some of the other offenses that you're talking about, especially as good as Russell's been this way, this, this year. Um, obviously Drew Brees, uh, as well as the Saints, the, the Packers with Rodgers. I mean, you look at some of those matchups versus that secondary, I think they would be able to pick them apart. So, um, for, for that reason, you know, that was just one of many examples where I look at some of the other teams, don't feel like they're quite as complete. And that's why I just don't really see uh, much reason to even include them as, as being a potential Super Bowl contender. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at this, when you look at the NFC too, and I don't want to knock the 49ers based off one loss because they've been awesome all season. They've got out to eight and no, but I think, you know, you can sort of say, We've seen Aaron Rodgers do it on a big stage. We know he can get nu- nuclear level hot and win a Super Bowl. We've seen Russell Wilson do it. Um, you know, Brian Schottenheimer can get out of his way. You know, Russell Wilson can, can light it up. Um, we've seen Drew Brees do it. They don't, they're not throwing downfield a whole lot, but you know, we know he has that extra level there and, and we believe that he can, you know, step up and, and do it on the biggest stage. Um, Kirk Cousins and, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo fallen up. Yeah. Throw, throw your hands up and, you know, can they do it? Let's find out. You know, get to the playoffs and let's find out. And then I, I really think that, you know, as much as we knock the Cowboys, Rams, um, Eagles and Panthers here, I mean, I think those are the next four teams where it's like, you know, one of the, you know, the Cowboys and Eagles are fortunate to be in the NFC East because at five and four, the Panthers and, and the, and the Rams are probably dead men walking. I mean, this could be a long shot to get in the playoffs for either of those two teams simply because of, how well the Vikings have played, how well uh, the Packers have played. You know, there's just there's just not a lot of room for error here. I mean, when you got an eight and two team that's the fifth seed and a seven and three team that's a sixth seed, and they're you know they're both fighting and clawing for the division matchup. I mean, it's just we might be looking at you know the five and six seeds are ten eleven wins, and you go nine and seven or ten and six, and you're just not getting into the playoffs. I mean, I think uh, you know so I think when you when you factor that in. Uh, Ryan, you know, maybe, maybe that sort of builds as your third tier, right? Yep. No, that's exactly it. Uh, I had the Vikings in that third tier just because of the Kirk Cousins, which way will he go factor? Um, but they're coming off that huge win. Have your Panthers there. Kyle Allen's actually played really well and he's been impressive, but they're sort of behind the eight ball in terms of where they are in the South. And finally, the final team, two teams in this tier have, uh, the Eagles slash Cowboys because let's see who wins the division. You feel better about the Eagles if they win the division just because Doug Peterson has coached in the Super Bowl and you touched on it, Brenton. If, uh, Jason Garrett gets to the Super Bowl, there's a good chance that team loses by a hundred points because he will be so out of his element. Uh, I don't trust him to do anything and that includes taking out the trash to be on time for the garbage trucks. Yeah, I think if uh, Jason Garrett goes to the Super Bowl, his team will score something that will involve a factor of three. It's going to be like 12 <laughs> or 15, 18, whatever it is. It's going to be a bunch of field goals. Brady, let me ask you. Hey, ask Will, you. Will, before you ask a question, that's probably going to be irrelevant to everything. Uh, can you give me your best Jason Garrett impression? Uh, yeah, you actually you know it's something very disturbing. One of the first. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we want to establish the run. No, it's the Jason Garrett clap. That's all. That's all he does. He just sits there and claps on the sidelines, no matter what, right? One, absolutely. One of the first combines I went to, and I can't remember what year it was, but you know, Jay, hell, probably eight years ago. Because Jason Garrett's been. Well, you're a boomer, right? So I mean, 
Had been a while ago. Look at him. Nope. Doesn't like that. No, I don't like being classified as a boomer. It's insane. Anyway, Jason Garrett's up on the podium. I look up there, and he's wearing the same shoes I was wearing. Cole, I was like, oh, no. Hey, here's the surprise. He's a boomer, too, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, oh, Brady, wow. Let me ask you this quickly about Jason Garrett. I asked this to Brinson on the podcast a few nights ago. In the eight years he's been there, and you're watching the broadcast, the, the broadcast of the game, have you ever, ever one time seen Jason Garrett talking to his headset? He's always standing there looking off into space, and he does the occasional clap when something happens. I've never seen him utter a word to the headset. Um, maybe they just haven't caught on the camera. What do you think? It's like a prop. <laughs> like, like it's not even, it's like it's got a wire to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we actually, we don't plug that into anything. He's just, he just wears it. It's, uh, it's just completely a prop. Right yeah. It's, it's, it's like if Matt Patricia uh, actually used pens, but he keeps the pencil in his ear the entire time. They're like, yeah, I, I don't get this. I, I thought the guy needs a pencil all the time. No, no, no. He uses pens. He just keeps the pencil in there for the look. Um, now, now that you think, now that you say that, I, I really don't recall him talking into it often, but it would be one of the greatest conspiracy theories ever if, if it's a fake headset. Or maybe it's got a direct line if it does to Jerry Jones and because of how things have gone, he just, he's not saying much. There's not a lot of back and forth. There was, um, there was a, and I'm trying to find it right now. I think it was John Machado tweeted out, but it was like a quote from, um, from Stephen Jones. Yeah, here it is. He was, appeared on 105.3, the fan, uh, in Dallas. And it was asked about running the ball. And he said, I didn't mind the play call at all in terms of running the ball there on second down and two. We were obviously trying to run some clock too. Um, and he goes on and, but he, he, he basically like, he like talked about how there's like strategy. It was very, it just, can, he said it. Can I, can I go back to the exact same point I made earlier? Like there's a lot of people who had an issue with, um, the play calling from that second down, third down to fourth down in that game this weekend. And it's the same thing. If Jason Garrett and Kellen Moore and their coaching staff was like, well, we don't want to leave like too much time on the clock. It's the most asinine thing in the world. Like you go score, you, you whatever yes. play is next, you go score to win and you let your defense with Demarcus Lawrence, you paid a boatload of money and Michael Bennett, who you just acquired and Robert Quinn, you let all those guys go out, go after and get after Kirk Cousins and see if he can do it in a primetime spot playing from behind on the road. That is how you should call it. And I just, I hated the fact that, look, I understand that Zeke's their best player on offense, but that's not what got them down there at that part of the field. It was Amari Cooper, it was Randall Cobb, and second, third down, fourth down. All those targets should have went to one of those two wide receivers uh, because they had the looks to do it. And again, that's what got them there. So very similar to the same thought process of uh, talking about this Monday Night Football game. You know, you can use the result at, at the end of the day and try to use that as a way of, oh, this is where we went wrong. But, you know, to me, they should have been throwing the football anyway. They shouldn't be thinking about how much time's left on the clock. Or as Pete would say, trying to run some time off the clock so you can potentially play for the tie. No one thinks like that. Unfortunately, the play calling wasn't great down the stretch. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. By the way, we're going to get to a break real quick. But first, I, I want to point out that, um, you know, I'm going to skip the question I was going to ask you. We can get to it later. Uh, Green Bay. A little bit of news. Break, bah, 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 breaking news. Say my breaking news dance. Green Bay and um, San, Green Bay at San Francisco. Packers at 49ers. It's right? been flexed. We, Just say it. Just say it. You, you know where you're going with this one. It's been flexed. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. Let's see the flex, Will. Let's see the flex. It's been flexed. <laughs> to, uh, not, not a lot there. 
think I just thank, tore thank, it. thank I think God there's not many people watching on YouTube TV, so I don't have to see that. Let's, let's see a flex. Let's see a flex review, Mr. Football Man. I'm gonna pass. This jacket's too tight. I don't think I can raise my arm above my shoulder. It is a little snug in the arms. I don't know. If it's they called look the uh, European cut. That's what I hear. I'm talking about the jacket, not something else. So anyway, Green Bay at San Francisco flex from 4:25 p.m. Eastern on Fox to Sunday Night Football as expected. What's crazy is that they're flexing. Seahawks and Eagles out of Sunday Night Football. I mean, that's a like I, I get. It. I mean, that's it, you know it's not as sexy as Packers 49ers. That's a pretty big game. Um, so the 49ers will be on primetime again. Seahawks uh, at Philly moves to 1 p.m. on Fox. Also, Carolina at New Orleans moves from 1 p.m. on Fox to 1 p.m. on CBS. Score. And uh, Miami at Cleveland moves from 1 p.m. on CBS to 1 p.m. on Fox. Suck it, Fox. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really easy, need that. It doesn't easy. Really matter. I've, I've also, got to play uh, on the fence uh, on this one. I, I'm just kidding. Fox, I love Fox. I have to call games for Except them. Except they're man. college football covers. That's trash. Um, what the, uh, the, and then the, uh, the week 16 games, Saturday slate has been announced as well, which is kind of exciting. Houston at Tampa Bay will be 1 p.m. on Saturday, December 21st. Buffalo at New England. 4.30 p.m. on Saturday, December 21st. Ooh. And Rams 49ers, 8.15 p.m. Saturday, December 21st. That's a triple header on the NFL Network. Um, Detroit at Denver will be Sunday at 4.05. And Oakland at L.A. will be Sunday, December hey, 22nd. Hey, Will, can you do this for me? Can you just go through the entire schedule starting week 16 uh, and then into week 17, just every matchup? Um, starting at the early games and the late games. Is it, is it possible for you to read all those off right now? I think it'd make, it'd be great for a podcast. It's scheduling information that people may want to hear about. I just yeah, dork, tell them to go look it up. Jeez. <laughs> go look it up, dorks. We're, we're going to take a break. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back. Brady, when last we left this podcast, Brady was thrashing me. See how flustered and embarrassed I well, am. Real quick, real quick. If you wouldn't mind, okay, can we just go over the scheduling for, again, weeks 13 through 15 as it stands right now? Can you just read off every single matchup that we have so our listeners can really enjoy? I don't know anyone who, who would listen to anything past the Sunday night football game that got flexed. Uh, I, I, I don't, yeah. Maybe I mean, I'm, I'm on this podcast and I stopped listening. I'm going to be honest with you. I was saying it. I stopped listening. I'll be honest. With you. <laughs> uh, no, we're in fact we're going to talk about the 2018 NFL draft. Um, Ryan flashed a bunch of hot takes for uh, the uh, CBS Sports social media team. They wanted to put some out on Instagram. Ryan, uh, you came up with a great list. 
Um, the actual order, of course, top five, Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley, Sam Darnold, Denzel Ward, Bradley Chubb from NC State. Um, nobody from Notre Dame on that list in the top five. Worth note. Wrong. Wrong. Quentin Nelson. Did you miss that one there, pal? <laughs> top five. Top five. Quentin I did Nelson top was... ten though for, I did top ten for social, just so we're clear. Right, yeah. but I was trying to exclude Notre Are you Dame. talking about the redraft or are you talking about the original? The original draft. Now, yeah. in the redraft, Ryan, do you want to give us your top ten again? Yeah, they, I didn't necessarily tie these to the teams, but you can actually tie them to the teams that actually drafted 2018, one through 10. So my first overall pick was Lamar Jackson, and I feel like the Browns would certainly love to have Lamar Jackson. They took Baker Mayfield, obviously. Number two, I had Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, who is the best player in NFL right now, uh, my favorite player, without a doubt. The Giants picked number two. If they took Minka, I think he would make sense there. Number three, Quentin Nelson, obviously, would have gone to the Jets. The Jets took Sam Darnold. Derwin James we haven't talked about because he's been injured this year, but he's a game changer. And if the Browns happen to take him at number four, uh, I don't think they would um, be upset about that. Then a run on inside linebackers, which is sort of weird because usually we don't see these guys go high. Darius Leonard and Tremaine Edmonds. And then Leighton Vander there at number nine. Jerry Alexander, one of the best cornerbacks in the league, at number seven. Uh, that was the Bills pick seventh that year. Saquon Barkley had falling to eight. And then Baker at number ten. I know Brinson last night actually would have had Saquon fall farther. He would have taken Baker earlier. Uh, no Sam Darnold, obviously. No Josh Allen. I got a lot of questions about why no Josh Allen. I don't think he's a top-ten quarterback, um, but you guys might feel differently. Well, look, um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. It looks This looks even worse now that I see it actually on screen than it did last night when you were talking about it. Uh, <laughs> but I know, I know how Brady likes to dish out a little bit on uh, draft coverage, so I'll let him take it away. The fact that you have <laughs> quarterbacks in that top ten and Minka Fitzpatrick, who's awesome. But it feels like you're really trying to push this Minka narrative a little bit further than it needs to go. You're telling me Minka Fitzpatrick would be the second overall pick if we redid that draft instead of, I don't know, T-Bag King Quentin Nelson or Baker Mayfield or or Sam Darnold? Get out of town, Wilson. Brady, explain to him that he's a psychopath. That was the best part of this podcast so far, Will. I just want you to know that. Like that little rant you just went on was the best part. Uh, here's the thing I, I actually hate about this activity is it's a year into it and it's, it's really tough to then take much one from what these players have done in a year plus. And then also, you know, we're factoring in now the circumstances of some of these teams. Like for example, when you look at Baker Mayfield going to the Arizona Cardinals, uh, I would just imagine that, you know, they probably wouldn't have Cliff Kingsbury there as their head coach if Baker Mayfield would have been there because Baker would have been pounding the desk telling them, please no, do not bring in the guy that I left high and dry at Texas Tech that I didn't get along with where I started my college career. Uh, I can assure you he'd be making that statement and I'm not sure, um, that they would have felt great about Baker Mayfield in that spot after the way that team was that particular year. Uh, didn't help Josh Rosen, didn't help him either. And so I almost think, you know, you could have looked at some of the other best players available at that point in the draft outside of the quarterback spot and maybe made a case for them. However, who would have been their quarterback for that year? Um, again, the tough thing too is like looking at, for example, the New York Giants. Okay. Let's say I take Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, you know, how does that help this team? I think if anyone in New York looks back at that draft, they maybe would have looked at saying, okay, like, should we have taken a quarterback? in that draft class as opposed to maybe waiting a year and taking Daniel Jones. Uh, I think if they went anywhere besides Saquon Barkley, it probably would have been a quarterback in that year's class. You know, the Jets getting Quentin Nelson, 
I think we say that now because their offensive line play has been so bad. Clutch Assembly, who we thought at the time was, was going to work out and be good. Now they've got all sorts of issues with him, and he's not even a part of that team. And we look at how bad the offensive line play has been, even though I think without Sam Darnold, and I think we saw that with Luke Falk, they would have no chance at winning football games because without his pocket moving the way he can kind of move around and create some plays and make some throws, uh, that wouldn't even work out. So, again, I think you get my drift with where I'm going. It's fun to go back and look at, like, okay, where should these guys gone based on how they look so far as they got in the NFL? But it still doesn't change my opinion about like what, for example, Quentin Nelson, Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James were as prospects coming out. Those guys and Saquon Barkley, they were about as bulletproof as it gets um, as far as where they ended up going in the draft. I can assure you those four guys I just mentioned would have gone in the top ten. Uh, there's no doubt about it in my mind. It may have been to, you know, just different teams or someone had trade up to get them, but they're all that talented and that solid as prospects. And I think their skill has shown enough to me in the short of time they've been in the NFL where they should have fit somewhere in that category. Your rebuttal, Ryan Wilson. Oh, not to disagree with that. I thought you would have something to say because you were so fired up earlier. I mean, would you take Sam Darnold higher? I think you said you would take Baker number two maybe. You would drop Saquon out of the top ten. Does that sound about right? Can I make a case, by the way, for Josh Allen? Because I do think – Yeah, dude. You might look at him. I mean, for starters now, I mean, they're, it's not like he's put up the best stats, but their team is in the hunt for the, you know, AFC playoff picture. And that may be a product of their schedule, the division, what have you. But he also has been the only thing that's made that offense go. I mean, let's be honest. His offensive line play hasn't been great. He hasn't had a consistent running game. Can you name some of the wide receivers? I'm, I'm pretty sure people at home would have a hard time naming their starting wide receivers between Robert Foster, Cole Beasley, uh, Knox at the tight end spot and, and whoever else outside John of that. Right. John Brown, who they brought in this past year. So, you know, I think when you look at that group, you're like, okay, I don't want to say it's pedestrian, but it's definitely not as talented as, for example, what Baker Mayfield is throwing to at this point. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say this, Josh Allen is a uber-talented quarterback as far as his athleticism, arm strength, and all that. If they give him someone who can separate, someone who can actually go, you know, catch contested passes too, like Cole Beasley has been a nice compliment to some of it, but like an actual number one, I think you'd also see some of the, the questions about his ability to make an accurate pass start to go away. This is also a team that dropped a ton of footballs last year too, which factors into that a little bit. And then Josh Rosen's the hardest one to look at in this quarterback group because he's been dealt to such a crappy situation. And I think if you're redrafting that, those top five, he's definitely the fifth of that group based on what you've seen. Um, but again, at the time when he was coming into the league, if he was drafted into a team with more of a supporting cast around him and better offensive line play, maybe he would have done a little bit better compared to what he dealt with last season. And we tend to forget, too, it wasn't just the fact that he had a first-time, first-year head coach. He also had his offensive coordinator get fired halfway through the year. And then a guy in Byron Leftwich who had never called plays before calling plays in an offense that's not his own. Minus the fact that he had guys who weren't even on the roster at the beginning of the year starting on the offensive line to finish that season. So it's just... Tough circumstances to be dealt with. And then he got traded to the Miami Dolphins this year. I think, I mean, I really do think that, you know, the, the four quarterbacks, I just think, I just don't know, like, I mean, maybe it's hard to do it because you can't, like, you still, like, is Dave Gettleman still involved in this process? Would he be stubborn enough to take Saquon Barkley again as good as he was? You know, as a rookie and he won rookie of the year, but knowing that it hasn't improved their team, I mean, wouldn't he take a quarterback? Wouldn't he take Sam Darnold? Did, hadn't he seen, I feel like you've seen enough from Sam Darnold to know we would go out and get him. I don't know that he would take Lamar Jackson. I don't think that 
it's he's his cup of tea for whatever reason. I just I just don't know that he would do that. But Lamar Jackson's gone in this in this uh, setup. Maybe he takes Baker. I, I just think the Giants would take a quarterback. Of course, the Jets would take a quarterback. They're going to take one no matter what. And um, you know, I think I, I, I always wonder too if Denver would have taken one. I mean, that's another team that took Bradley yeah. Chubb. I, I know in this exercise you've got him taking Darius Leonard, uh, so defensive player different position but that's the other group that you know you wonder if maybe John Elway feels like he missed out on you know bringing in a guy that you know, he feels like could maybe be the future franchise quarterback given the struggles they've had with that particular position Quentin Nelson Derwin James Leighton Van Der Esch I think those guys are locks to go early and, and Minka too I mean look I, th- this looks like it could be a very good class um, I actually think that you're selling Bradley Chubb short by not having him here in this list as well because he had 12 sacks as a rookie. It looked like, you know, he was going to have a great second season. Then he tore his ACL and you can't factor that into it, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it, look, it's tough to get a top 10 here. I would have more quarterbacks. Barkley's not going to my top 10. I'm not taking him with a top 10 pick with these kind of defensive game changers and these kind of quarterbacks available. Hell, if I had the second overall pick and I had a quarterback already, I'd take another quarterback and trade him to somebody else. Like, would you sound you- like, you sound like Will Prisco over there. <laughs> just saying is that i feel like that's not a compliment uh does it sound like does it sound like a compliment i'm tan and tiny where, where, where. does that does that work um we're playing right, for a tie you play still you play for a tie let's talk about the 2020 nfl draft because certainly we learned some stuff incredible game alabama lost to lsu in alabama Joe Burrow was awesome. Tua tried to lead a great comeback on CBS. And a reminder, you can watch all these great SEC on CBS games by going to cbssports.com slash SEC, and that will automatically direct you to the CBS Sports SEC live page. Yeah, that's not even in my rundown. It's a plug I just do because I love CBS and I love college football. I love the SEC. Um, Joe Burrow, did he cement himself? Ryan is the number one guy on your in your mock draft on your on your draft list. Is he the top overall pick going back home to Cincinnati? I had him going number one in the most recent mock draft. I don't know if he submitted himself. I think NFL teams are split. And um, Brady and I talked about this earlier on HQ with uh, with Petey Prisco. It's because he's done this for one year. Why has he been able to do this for one year? What happened? And I bounced this this stat as well. Uh, his completion percentage from last year to this year is up twenty one points, and that's mind blowing. So what is that Joe Brady, the uh, the passing game coordinator? Is it Joe Burrow just maturing? Is it the, the weapons he has? Um, so he's number one right now. But if you told me Tua goes number one in April, I, I wouldn't be shocked at this point. I will say this about Tua. He played on one leg. He had surgery 20 days before this game. I thought he was so accurate with the ball given all the things that he that was thrown at him, including uh, a pretty heavy LSU pass rush. I was impressed with the way he played, even though he completed just barely 50% of his throws. I take nothing away from him from this game in terms of – uh, he had one bad interception. He had a silly fumble there towards the um, in, in the first half. Other than that, uh, it's Joe Burrow and Tua neck and neck. I don't think you can go wrong with either guy, but right now I'm leaning Joe Burrow. Yeah, for a lot of the points that Ryan just made, but I think the biggest question is, is 21 point percentage points higher in completion percentage. He's already doubled his touchdown production from a year ago. What do you attribute that to? Is it the maturation process? Is it – the maturation process of the guys he's throwing to and, and Jefferson and Chase and Marshall, uh, Edwards, Alaire. I mean, Joe Brady coming in as the passing game coordinator. I mean, it's so drastically different at this point in time in his career in his last year. You're just trying to kind of put the pieces together, uh, cause he was the full-time starter last year. And obviously he's a quarterback too. He got beat out by granted a, a first round talent and, and pick in Dwayne Haskins. 
Um, but, but that was the quarterback battle that he faced at Ohio State. They went with Haskins. He ended up transferring as a grad transfer and going to LSU. So, uh, I, I think there's some thought to, okay, is he the most talented of, of that draft? Probably not. His arm's not as strong as Jacob Eason or Justin Herbert. Is he athletic as, you know, for example, a Lamar Jackson? No. And he's probably not even able to move quite as well as Tua Tungavailoa can to create plays and buy time within the pocket. However, he does everything well. And his resume with what he's done this year versus four top ten teams is ridiculous. So it's it's almost like part of me looks at it and says it's a no-brainer. And this is where you look at last year, who was the best player in college football? Kyler Murray. Don't overthink it. Draft the best player. Who was the best player the year before that in college football? Baker Mayfield. Don't overthink it. Draft the best player. It's almost like Cincinnati should take that approach with Joe Burrow. And honestly, like the hometown kid and all that stuff, it would ignite the fan base. But that's all going to come down to whether or not they win. Like It might sell some tickets initially to get them excited, but it's still going to come down to whether or not they win football games in the long term is whether or not that's going to work out. So uh, that that's... That's the toughest part about this is is when you look at him from the standpoint of what he has and what he possesses, his resume is ridiculous this year, but it's a head-scratcher as to why we didn't see more of that last year. And then looking at him as far as a talent perspective is, and I think you have to ask this question, like, has he peaked? Is this, is this as good as he's going to get? Does he need a team built out around him? Because if he doesn't have that team, he could struggle. He's going to go to a bad football team, the worst football team from the year before, Bengals or whoever else. So that's a question you have to ask yourself. And then Tua... I think he's got just a supreme ability for a feel for the game. When you watch him play quarterback, you say he has that it factor. The way he moves in the pocket, the way he's able to make certain touch throws and his deep throws downfield, and the way he sees the game and can anticipate. He's done that for his entire career. And as Ryan pointed out, he actually you know fared pretty well playing on essentially one leg and versus a Dave Aranda defense for LSU with a bunch of pressure. So... You know, for, for all those reasons, I, I just think it's going to be a tough pick between the two. I think some teams may be torn because they're just both that good of prospects. What do you think the Bengals should do then over the next few weeks, Ryan? Should this be a, I mean, how do, how do you deal with evaluating Ryan Finley here? Because it, I'm not going to sit here and like bang the desk for Ryan Finley, who, by the way. Yeah, you will. Cause he's an NC state, NC state quarterback. You're going to have one too many toughies and it's going to lead down that hole. <laughs> Hey, look, man, it's 6.30 on Tuesday night. You know I'm like 12 toughies. You're going to tough. drive to Wilson's house. You're going to take a dump at his, his toilet and then just take an away game and leave. <laughs> somebody, did somebody like recently away game your house? This is awfully like – No, awful- okay. I've got a story actually that, that relates to this, okay? So um, I'm not going to say what player it was, but there was a player on the Browns, and another player was looking at his house to potentially buy it. And – I guess that player had had a party at that house and didn't realize there would be a showing the next day. And there were, it was just an absolute mess when the other player and his wife walked through. And one particular thing that he told me that he could never get out of his mind is when he walked into, I think it was the master bathroom, there was just a big old turd and a, a just toilet full of toilet paper um, but like just sitting there, that's it. No one decided to flush or anything. And at first glance, you know, he kind of looked in and was like, Oh gosh. And obviously it smelled. And then the realtor came in and looked and then <laughs> was like taken back by it. It was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, I'm sorry there was bad communication and all this. And, um, uh, then he kind of went in the player who's looking at buying the house, went in and took a second look and was just like, 
it's a big dump. There's not a lot of toilet paper. Like this person wiped properly. So then they call it sort of to call the question, the individual that left it there for them, why they'd leave it, not flush and then not wipe properly. So and it, anyway, I went down this whole long rabbit hole of like just weird scenarios. And just like, I don't know. I've, I've never heard anyone who walked into to a situation like that, trying to buy a house before. Is the, is the, is the allegation here that, player who was buying the house from that the person knew who was coming in no and was possibly, they did not know they did you think not it's know. just just a, a random occurrence like or is it possible that i think was, i think someone dropped a dookie and left <laughs> oh, that's what i think man you know who i think it was who's that freddie kitchens 100 <laughs> percent this is this is a while ago this is back when i was playing for the browns this is about a decade ago it actually is a little further than that so Freddie, Freddie, Freddie would like, Freddie went to flush and then like, like forgot and like, and like, like, by the way, that dude called timeout with three seconds left in the quarter. Like, that's, that's the equivalent of not forgetting to flush and, and, and walking out. I mean, like, it's the same thing. It's unbelievable. Um, I hate to see completely lost my place. Honest. Hey, Brenton, let me uh, run by you some of the, the standouts in that LSU-Alabama game who could be making big bucks on draft day. So, I mean, the offensive lines for Alabama, their they're tackles, Jedrick Wills plays right tackle, and then uh, Alex Leatherwood plays uh, left tackle. Those guys are studs. They both have a chance to be first-round picks. We know about Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devonta Smith. Those are all wide receivers that could potentially go in the first round. Definitely Jerry Judy and, and probably Henry Ruggs. Devontae Smith may fall. Terrell Smith, number 24, who was a terror off the edge for a lot of the game. He's battled injuries ACL last year. I think he had an elbow the year before that. He hasn't played a lot. But if he stays healthy, there's some conversations that he might sneak into the first round. Definitely be a day two guy. But health is going to be a big concern with him. But he's one of these crazy athletes. And then there's LSU. We talked about Joe Burrow. Clyde Edwards-Alaire has sort of come out of nowhere and been a big part of that offense as running back. Justin Jefferson's a stud out of the slot. Christian Fulton and Grant Delpit in the secondary. Grant Delpit has an ankle injury. He refuses to tackle people. I don't know why. If he could tackle someone, he would definitely be like a top 15 guy. Questions there. And then Christian Fulton is probably the second best cornerback in this draft after uh, Brady's guy, Jeffrey Akuda. Would you, care, would you care to explain why you have the Panthers taking Jordan Love in the first round? Oh, yeah. I talked about this with Pete and Brady on, on HQ earlier. So, as you know, Cam Newton has one more year in his deal. Who knows what his future is? Pete says he thinks he's coming back. That's what Pete hears. We'll see. Is Kyle Allen the long-term answer? I don't know. The they drafted Will Greer. They clearly don't think a lot of him because he hasn't played yet. Maybe they have plans for him down the road. Jordan Love is sort of an athletic Cam Newton type. He is not Cam Newton, but he is uh, insanely athletic, has a rocket arm, and he played his best game of the season last Saturday against BYU. He's had a terrible season prior to that, and there's no getting around that. Fantastic year last year. I feel like he's probably a day-two guy, but if he plays like he did Saturday against BYU for the rest of the season, there will be a lot of chatter about him possibly sneaking into the first round because he, just like Justin Herbert, does everything that NFL teams want out of a young future face of the franchise guy. And when he is on, he it's it's a lot of fun to watch. He has not been on a lot this year, but but Saturday night against BYU was, was his best game of the year. I actually have some breaking news right now in regards to something that could impact the 2020 NFL draft and Ryan's mock draft, even though he doesn't have this particular player going in the first round. Although now that I look through his list of players going in the first round, he's actually missing, uh, I believe, this entire position group, if I'm not mistaken. I'm looking through it, trying to find the rest of it. 
In fact, uh, this one's cut off, so I, I don't at even have. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Not, at least you're not for the second straight Ooh. week. Someone on blast in a live podcast. At least you're not doing that. No, no, no. I, no, we've got it. We've got it. He actually does have one player uh, going actually to a team that would make a lot of sense. However, uh, anyway, I'll stop teasing. Uh, Notre Dame's tight end, Cole Komet, who very well could have been a first-round pick at the tight end position. He blocks well. He's a freak athlete. Some people compare him to Tyler uh, Eifert, who was also a first-round pick back when he was healthy for the, the Bengals, a game-changer. But actually, they think Komet's a better blocker. Um, he's decided to come back for his 2020 season, his, his last year wow. at Notre Dame, which is huge because it takes off one of the probably the top prospects uh, or one of the top prospects at his position off the board, even though I believe you've mocked uh, Hunter Bryant, the tight end of Washington, uh, going to the New England Patriots, which, which makes a lot of sense. However, Bryant, much more of a pass catcher, kind of like just a bigger wide receiver, uh, not really a guy you're going to put at the point of attack, probably more of an off-the-ball tight end, uh, similar to uh, what we saw the Vikings do this year, taking Irv Smith in the second round from Alabama, uh, and he plays with Kyle Rudolph as more of your traditional Y. Kyle, or Cole Komet can play more of that traditional Y position, but he's a ridiculous athlete and stretch the field vertically. So, uh, big time, I should say loss for the 2020 draft because he'll be there in 2021, but obviously a guy who wants to come back to school and still has some unfinished business. Baseball player too. Yep. How did, how did you know that? There was like an alert. Like the, did you get an alert? No. I keep in touch. I have my sources. I mean, nice. he's he's doing a press conference right now, and he announced it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. Brady's breaking news. Okay. Well, if Brady had said it like five minutes ago, it would have been breaking news. I'd say now. By the way, uh, well, Hunter Bryant. I, I was trying to be respectful and not cut off Ryan Wilson, so I was trying to let right. him finish when he was talking. I could have said it earlier, but, again, I was just trying to be polite, something that Will Prisco knows nothing about. Hunter Bryant's actually, you're exactly right. He's a move tight end, and he reminds me a little bit, a little Evan Ingram in this game. He's not quite Evan Ingram. He's a little more raw than that, but he he's fast. He has soft hands. He's uh, a problem in the middle of the field, and look, he ain't blocking anybody, and he's not going to make up for Rock Gronkowski in New England, but he gives them pass catchers, and they desperately need that, and he's sort of a, a, a versatile chess piece, if you will, with uh, Brinson. I certainly will, Ryan. Um you know, I have a Cole Komet Google a Twitter alert. So anytime somebody tweets about Cole Komet, boo, pew, pew. So I saw it as well. <laughs> Basically the same time. Um, thanks to my sources. I'm just kidding. I, I, if, we could have scooped it. We could have scooped it. Let's go to the five star questions. This is from Steel Curtain 326. Hey, Will, my name is TJ. Hello, TJ. I've been listening to you guys for a long time. I'm 14 years old and I'm from Northern Illinois. How cool. Now I've feel bad about any stories Brady might tell on the podcast, but that, you know, whatever. <laughs> my son has poop. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell my son's poop joke. Everybody you know. poops, Will. Everyone poops. That's right. There's nothing my fu- my son thinks is funnier than poop and toots and all that kind of stuff. Uh, my five-star question is for Ryan Wilson. I've been into analyzing draft prospects for a while now, and I've already made a good amount of mock drafts for the 2020 draft. My question is, how do I get into the draft analyzing field and make it into a career or any aspect of analyzing NFL slash college players? Keep up the great work, guys. Oh, and Will, okay, Boomer. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Great job, Silver. Uh, Six. First of all, TJ, allow me to speak for Ryan when I say he doesn't want you to get into this field because he's trying to keep his job. So he, he knows you're probably better than him right now, so don't do it. All right, stay far, stay far away. But Ryan, in all seriousness, uh, would you like to provide TJ with information as to how to get this job? 
Yeah, so the draft thing was sort of a fluky for me, and there's no doubt about that. I didn't start covering the draft full-time until last year, like almost a year ago at this time. Prior to that, though, I've been working with Brinson uh, for more than 10 years. feels like 100 years. But both he and I started early on in the, uh, the sort of sports blog internet phase. And honestly, part of it's luck, but part of it's also sort of working hard. I know Brinson comes off as, as a goober, but he actually does work hard when he's focused on something. And you sort of have to be that way no matter what you're doing. So you have to work hard. You have to stand out. You have to be, and this is not, this probably is the most important thing I can tell you. Be a good person. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a, a, a D bag and, and try to, Treat, treat people poorly for, for no other reason than, than personal gain or whatever. And then also you have to sort of get lucky. Uh, I'll be honest. like I, I, It's going to be sort of sappy, but it's true. Guys like P. Prisco have been invaluable in terms of helping me. Guys like Brady Quinn has have been invaluable. Brady will send me notes about guys that I don't know anything about or I've made comments that were clearly wrong, and he'll very gently point me in the right direction. So, I mean, you have to – that starts being a good person. I, I think Brady would agree that I'm not a jerk, so uh, he was probably more inclined to help me out than someone else. Um, so I think that's all part of the process. I think this, Pr- Prisco would probably say the same thing. But um, luck, be a good person, and uh, hit your wagon to Will Brinson. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, I do. I do agree with you that like luck is very important. But you have to be able to put yourself in a position to take advantage of luck when it lands in your in your in yeah. your lap. Um, did you guys see the uh, the Marty Smith thing that went viral? Have you that was seen awesome. This? It yeah, was really was cool. Like, so Marty Smith from ESPN, I think, you know, I, don't, I know he's from the South, obviously. Like he, <laughs> oh, he is? He's not from yes. Canada? Yeah. <laughs> he's not from Boston. Um, but he, uh, there's a guy who's like filming a, a, a stand up. If you haven't seen it, go check it out, but he's filming a stand up after the LSU the young game. Guy, he's probably been in the job for a year or something. Yeah. And he's, I think it's like a local news station and he flubs the thing. And you just see him get like dejected and you can tell he's like just beat up by like he can't get this stand up right. And all of a sudden Marty Smith pops over and is like, Hey man, part of the job sucks. Keep working. You'll be great at it. You know, like, keep, keep doing what you're doing. And the guy's like freaking out because Marty Smith is apparently one of his, uh, idols. So, uh, and I noticed that Marty Smith's Twitter bio, it says like, be kind, work hard. The rest will come naturally. And that's it. That, that's, that's good advice. Um, <laughs> Next five star question. Slight twist here. Uh, Bluto152 says Brinson somehow puts out eight podcasts a week staying chipper and quick witted. He apparently doesn't have down days, can only assume drugs are involved, but you can't find a better NFL podcast. So I'm okay with it. Uh, Does alcohol count? <laughs> downer anyway. Uh, I don't, I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> uh, fortunately, his question is not for me. That's not the question. He's, my question is for Brady Quinn. I graduated from Navy the year before your 2006 Notre Dame season, aka the 43rd win in a row for the Irish against Navy. Good for the longest streak in NCAA history in an annual series. Always, always curious as to how that series played from Notre Dame's perspective. Kind of like Quixote tilting at windmills from where I was sitting. Just an annoying tradition having to play that triple option team once a year. That is a Don Quixote reference, Brady. I know you didn't go to school, so you may not know that. But that's No, I actually read Don Quixote. Um, so uh, let me just go ahead and give you the history on why it's, it's significant and important that Notre Dame and Navy play. Notre Dame almost went bankrupt. So during World War II, and this is back obviously when Notre Dame was an all-boys school, 
um, there was a ton of men and who, who left to go serve in the military, who went to go serve in the, the five different branches. And so at that point in time, when enrollment's down, you have a lot of funds coming in, financially you're going to be struggling. So what Notre Dame decided to do was use their campus as a training base, and they came to an agreement with the Naval Academy uh, to do that and basically to help fund the university to get through that time during World War II. There was other universities who had these similar struggles. And so through that, they ended up agreeing upon an annual series where they play with each other every year, um, kind of out of respect, but also be, because of the, um, you know, kind of the, the act of goodwill from the Navy to do this for Notre Dame. So, uh, in, in knowing that, obviously, uh, that's one of the important reasons why, like, that's a debt that obviously Notre Dame will never be able to repay. I mean, if that school would have went under at that point in time, you know, maybe I don't have the opportunity to go there. Maybe there's never the chance to, to play football in Notre Dame, right? My life would have been entirely different. So it, it's a huge debt, maybe insurmountable to, to ever even be able to pay back. Besides the standpoint that you have a ton of respect for, you know, Navy, what all those young men are devoting their life to, what they stand for, especially with Veterans Day this past week. Um, you just think about all those people who've gone and served and been courageous enough, uh, to put them before, um, you know, to, to put themselves, you know, out there at risk for our country and to, to defend our country. So for that reason, uh, I don't look at it, uh, at all as, as an annoying tradition. There's a lot of respect that comes along with it. And, and you have to also think too, at that point in time when they were playing, you know, way back when, Navy was one of the top teams in college football. Right now they're a top 25 team. I and mean, this is two top 25 teams squaring off. So I understand that, you know, maybe they're not getting the top recruited guys anymore, but they're highly competitive in the AAC. And there's obviously a lot more to this matchup than just merely tradition. And, and one in which again, um, during that period in time, they had some good players. I remember, uh, Kyle Eccles, fullback for Navy. He actually ended up coming out for training camp with Denver. And that guy was a flipping legend. Like I, I remember our freshman year, it literally took, we had to go on a two minute drive down the field to kick a field goal to win it. I remember thinking like so dejected at that point in time, like how bad are we, you know, cause Navy wasn't that good that year, but Kyle Eccles was. And that dude ran the football like a maniac. I mean, the fullback in that op- triple option, it's so tough to stop, but you really have to have someone who's about as tough as you could ever imagine. Kyle was that guy, and I'll never forget the way he played in that game. And then meeting him like years later when I got traded to Denver, I was just like, "Holy crap, dude!" I was like, "You were an absolute stud." Like I appreciate you know everything you know you've done for us, this country, and all this stuff. But um, I'll never forget you know him in that performance, and and just you know how that particular game went. But um, nonetheless, that that series has been a little bit more even after I, I left. Notre Dame's obviously dominated still to some degree, but. They, they've no Navy still had their moments in that, in that matchup. Wow. Didn't think that we'd see not only a heartfelt tribute to mentors around the industry from Ryan Wilson, uh, as well as a historical and, you know, humbling, introspective. <laughs> Can coach. I tell a quick story about Kyle, by not the way? Mention, not to mention a story about dudes taking deuces in, in houses. I mean, what a, what a, what a, what a clean sweep for the podcast. So, Quick story too with Kyle. So we are you know, during the summertime, like Kyle joined the team. I want to say either, um, during the summer before training camp, but like during OTAs and all that. And, uh, we had all gone out. There was a bunch of us that went to Notre Dame at the same time they're out there. Like Ryan Harris was there, Kyle McCarthy, David Bruton, Harrison Bruton were both draft picks. Um, there was even a kid named Paul Duncan who was signed, signed as a free agent. Um, and I believe McCarthy was a free agent as well. Um, uh, that ended up making the team that season, but, um, there was, I'm trying to think, I don't want to leave anyone out. 
But there was a, uh, Eric Olson. Eric Olson was a draft pick, pick played on the offensive line. So we were all out there together. Darius Walker had been a college free agent, so he lived in the area. And so basically there's this whole group of Notre Dame guys that were out there. And there's obviously some other guys on the team that we were close with. So we had gone out and we had gotten like a limo and everything. So, cause obviously we were, we were drinking and having a good time. Well, I had taken care of it because I was, you know, the veteran and older player of that group, but Kyle was with us. And all I know is I got out of the limo first that night. I think it was around 2, 2.30 a.m. I can't quite recall, like, how the whole night went, where we ended up going. I just know we drank a lot. And when I got out, I just – I'll never forget, like, thinking to myself, probably not a good idea that they've got my credit card. I'm the one paying for it, and I'm leaving all these guys in that limo. I get a call the next day, and there was like maybe two grand worth of damage somehow done in the back of that thing. So unfortunately, I don't know what happened. I never got the straight story from those guys, but I had to foot the bill for them moving forward after they had a little bit too much fun in, in the limo uh, with whatever happened that night dur- during one of those summer nights where you're kind of hanging out with a bunch of the guys. Wow. That's a big old credit card bill you got there. Eh, I mean, it's not that bad. I've definitely seen worse, heard of worse, but... Still, I just, I, that was one of those decisions where you replay, kind of when we talked about resulting in like the end of the Monday Night Football game and how that all worked out this past week. Thinking back in my head, I was like, probably should have hung around the limo and been around a little bit longer. <laughs> Even at that point, I was pretty tired. Done, done some, like, maybe got like, get me like, hey, take these guys home, give me my card back, get, take one of their cards and, uh, yeah, one of those things. Yeah. It's like when you drop off somebody on, you know, you, you're Ubering home and you drop somebody off on the way. Or you drug get dropped off first because you don't want to ride around all night. It's two a.m. and then all of a sudden they throw you gotta, up. You got to play for the bar fee and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you've been there before, Will. As the one who had to pay for the bar fee, of course. No, as the one barfing. Yeah, I don't barf. I don't. Bar- I don't puke. Never puked. I mean, I vomited, of course, in my life, but I haven't puked in like twenty years. I don't think. Oh, okay. Chris Hassel will tell you you're not you're not doing it right. Then that's what Chris Hassel would say. <laughs> I think I'm doing it right. I think I'm doing it right. I don't know. Hassel can get after pretty good. Um, when's the last time you vomited, Brady? Oh gosh, I'm a terrible person to ask that. Um, this morning. No, no, it's been a while. Um, gosh, I, I, I actually know. I can't quite recall what point of the year it was. It was after the football season because that's usually when uh, my buddies will come down because I have a little more time. And I just remember my brother-in-law was in town. Um, he plays for the, he plays hockey for the Penguins. And so we had, we had gone out earlier that day and gotten after pretty good. And then, oh, this is, this is terrible. So then we ended up, like we drank a decent amount and we ended up, um, going to the hockey game. So we saw my brother-in-law, but before that we ended up meeting up with, um, Justin Thomas, the golfer, um, who else? Um, do you, you're, are you boys with JT? Oh, Rory. No, well, not no, not really. Like we were introduced to them by a former player wait, who I wait, knew, but is this we met Ricky, Ricky Fowler story too. Yeah, and, and Ricky and Ricky was there, so you've heard this before. So I can't say the entire bit of the yeah, story, yeah. but uh, I was probably the biggest jackass because at that point I drank in a ridiculous amount, and um, I, we I ended up holding it together until we like got outside of the arena after I saw my brother in law and said hello and all that. And once we got in the car, I was like, "Oh, this is going to end badly that night." So, sure enough, it did. But that was uh, that was that was a while ago. Yada yada yada. That's the end of the story. I'm not going to ask you, Ryan, unless you want to tell me. I feel like you drank like too much almond milk and threw up one day. <laughs> well, it's oat milk, by the way. It's not almond milk. Oat, I told the story. Oat, oat. Yeah, almond. I told the story about the uh, 
about the uh, what's it called on Tuesdays at Super Bowl? The media day. Oh. You mean the 2012 media day between the Patriots? That wasn't the last time, but that's the one that sticks out to me at 10:30 in the morning. That was. That oh, was yeah, we, had, we had a big night the night before in Indianapolis, running around. My first Super Bowl. Ryan's first Super Bowl for CBS, and um, which should you tell them like the Super Friends? This group of writers for CBS parties harder than any other network, any other writer. I, I will give you guys credit for that. You think? Yeah. Yes. There, there wow. might be a few standouts like Darlington. I know he gets after it. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah, but, but he's like one of like a few there at like ESPN, for example, or some of the others. Like they don't have a group like your group. You guys party hard. You're big. Huh. All right. Um, anyway, it, that, that was a good look. I, I'll tell you that. Ryan was like, we were down on the floor of, uh, of Lucas Oil Stadium and like they, you know, they started like, like blaring horns. It's like, media day will start in 12 minutes. And Ryan's like, I'll be right back and sprints in the bathroom. And yeah. of course, you know, some guy in there hanging out, like, you know, using the, using the body and breath. He's actually using like the facilities correctly. Freddie Kitchens was Pro- in the stall and what I was doing. <laughs> Puking my brains out at 1030 in the morning. <laughs> All right, uh, this show ended up being fairly long. My wife has been texting me wondering what the hell I'm doing, and I told her I'm having a blast with Brady and Ryan. Um, so we'll be back next week. Of course, you can listen to Thursday's show, which will be me, Heath Cummings, and Brian McFadden breaking down fantasy questions for you. And then, of course, we'll have a Thursday night recap with Super Friends and Friday's Pick Show, which will also be on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash Sports. Make sure and watch Brady and Ryan and myself on CBS Sports HQ. Hit that five-star review. Talk to you guys next week.